Today's episode brought to you by BossPods.com. Want a podcast like a boss? We've got the inside word on how to set up a podcast that's actually worth something. We've got the industry's best to show you how. BossPods.com. Podcast like a boss. Welcome, friends, to another installment of Coming Up Next. This week, I'm going to mix it up a little bit, and I'm going to give you a double dose of Coming Up Next with Alistair Marks. That's me. I'm Alistair Marks. Do not adjust your headset speakers, people of the Coming Up Next work. The sound quality has most certainly gone up to 11. In, in quality, not volume, that is. And it's all thanks to the good people at Rode Microphones. Rode Microphones deliver you superior quality audio at an affordable price, so if you're looking to start your own podcast, like a boss, record some music, or shoot a film, Rode Microphones have got you covered. Check out Rode.com, that's R-O-D-E.com, to find out more information on their products. So my friends, this week's double release. What I want to do is go round two of the Underground Creative Series all over the world, there are people making waves, kind of flying under the radar. In the first installment of this little series, you may recall, I spoke with Danielle Weber of Danielle's Artwork and Naomi Stecklenberg of Give It Mouth. Well, for this installment, I decided to go a little closer to home and speak to a couple of people who are making big waves in the world of podcasting. Up first, episode one for this week, which is really episode 54 of Coming Up Next. We have the gentleman behind the Four Finger Discount Podcast. This is Australia's number one Simpsons-based podcast, and as a massive, lifelong fan of The Simpsons, I was pretty stoked to speak with Mitch and Dando about what makes them silly. You can find them on iTunes under Four Finger Discount. Hit the subscribe button. You can find them on Facebook under Four Finger Discount, and you can find them at fourfingerdiscount.com.au. They've got heaps of Simpsons videos memes and of course all the episodes of their show and of course while you're on itunes you might as well subscribe to coming up next podcast which is under coming up next in the podcast section uh, or at comingupnext.com.au and keep your eyes and ears peeled on thursday this week my friends as i welcome another exceptional podcaster to the chat cave in the form of mr steve Malk and his humans of twitter podcast and now to tell you all about their show, Four Finger Discount, I hand you over to Mitch and Dando. You guys have a really awesome podcast called Four Finger Discount. Thank you. No, thank you. Um, you know, I don't think enough credit is given to people who seriously invest uh time and energy and and money and their life into the creation of um of of content uh and it's all essentially for the love of what they're doing um why why did you guys decide to or maybe maybe a better question is could you tell me the the inception story of uh, a four finger discount yeah sure well i'll let dando kick off that as it really was it's been his baby i guess from the beginning and something that he'd had in mind from well before we actually met so uh, dando please okay so basically i've always been a big fan of podcasts that review tv shows for example when um 
when Breaking Bad was on, the Sons of Anarchy was still on, I would watch, I, I would listen to podcasts of people who would just watch the episode and they'd just go straight away and review it. And I loved hearing other people's insight into the episode. And I thought, oh, it'd be really interesting to hear a Simpsons one. So I did a quick search on the podcast app and there was one. And it, to me, it wasn't that great. I thought, oh, I'm surprised there hasn't been more. I mean, The Simpsons is one of the most iconic shows of all time. How could there not be one? I thought it'd be cool to be the first Australian podcast. The only problem was the guy that I was at the time doing a lot of podcasts with, he didn't like The Simpsons. He was sort of outgrown it, as he what? would put it. So I thought, oh, well, Who yeah, so The Simpsons? He, he, I know, different sense of humor. He was never really big on The Simpsons anyway. So I sort of thought, oh, well, well I'll just put that aside. And then it got the better of me. And I started a, a YouTube series where I would review the the episodes by myself in like short three to five minute episodes, but it just didn't feel, I just wasn't enjoying it. It sort of became a, a task to get it done every weekend. You mm. got about six episodes done. So I stopped that. And then one night we're at a local pub in Geelong here called the Bowen Club. And my wife, Nicola, she'd become friends with a girl called Ash, who I had been friends with in the past. I had no idea they'd become mutual friends since then. And we're out having dinner and then Ash said, Hey, you like The Simpsons, don't you, Dan? Don't I said, yeah. And she goes, so does my husband. Here, go talk about it. And that was when Mitch and I first met. And the show started from there. Yeah, pretty much. It was my wife playing matchmaker. Yeah. And I guess from my point of view, I'd, I'd, uh, there were a few podcasts that I'd listened to in the past. I'd always really been a big fan of certain radio shows uh, around mm. Australia, like Martin Malloy throughout the 90s, uh, Get This, so basically anything that Tony Martin never got his hands on. Um I'd always just really enjoyed entertainment in general, though, and stand-up comedy, all that sort of thing. So from my point of view, growing up through school, I was always kind of trying to investigate any angle that I could get into where my voice could be heard and, you know, I could make strangers laugh. And I was a massive fan of The Simpsons growing up as well. It's film, TV, media in general. I've, I've done a little bit of acting in the past and a little bit of film study, so I kind of was able to bring that kind of analytical side to it rather than just be two guys going oh how funny was that bit and how funny was that bit we try to uncover a little bit more of the depth behind what's going on because some of the writing in that show is is you know it's so layered and so multi-leveled and even cinematically some of the direction in it there's little subtle things that you might not necessarily even realize are happening but are, are definitely driving the way you know each episode tells its own story well, mm. Mitch was the first person. Mitch was the first person I'd met that didn't make me feel like a dickhead for wanting to look further into the episodes, into the humour <laughs> and all that kind of stuff. So I knew that there was Mitch was the man for me. So that's why we are. <laughs> that's why I clung onto him. We started the show. That's awesome. So I mean, just as a like an aside, what, what this is obviously not your full time gig, but this is something you're really passionate about. What what do you guys do um, for a crust? Uh, well, day-to-day -day life, I uh, just work in a bank. There's um, nothing too glamorous about it. Mm. Um, but, uh, yeah, that, that's pretty much it. Like, it's down in Geelong, uh, one thing about, like, we're not that far away from Melbourne, but to to both have an income and be able to do creative stuff on the side is a little bit difficult because, mm. you know, heading up the highway to either get to rehearsals or to, to sh shows, whatever it might be, can be a bit of a challenge when you're breaking in. Um so, yeah, my, my regular life has absolutely nothing to do with this. Mine is even less interesting. I work <laughs> in a factory building cars at Ford, which unfortunately is closing down in three months. So it would be good to be able to somehow turn this into a career, but we'll soon see. <laughs> How much does 
does this sort of creative outlet mean to you guys then? Is it something that you really look forward to every week and something that, you know, is, um, is something that you're really proud of having created? Definitely. I mean, a lot of people always say to me that they can't believe that two guys from Geelong made this podcast. I mean, I put up a post last night. Our Facebook page reached 2 million people this week. Wow. And it's just incredible. I think this little show that we started in my spare bedroom my house just a little over a year ago last May is now reaching 2 million people per week. <laughs> Not to get too self-congratulatory, for me it blows my mind that recently we were lucky enough to interview Harry Shearer yeah. while he had his time in Australia. We've interviewed Maggie Roswell who works on the show. We interviewed um, Joe Montagna. Joe Montagna, the voice of Fat Tony and, and you know, a legendary long-time stage and screen actor. Criminal Minds. Um Criminal Minds, Godfather Part Three, Baby's Day Out, some of the some of the, you know, the real heavy hitters. Um, but yeah, like that. To me, that's like, as much as I do listen to the shows back, particularly in the early days. I listened a lot to make sure I didn't sound like too much of an idiot. But the fact that some of those people have gotten on board and said, "Yeah, we're happy to be on the show," says to me that we're doing a pretty good job. And that's the thing that I'm probably the proudest of. That, um, or even small things like. I, you know, showed some of my friends earlier, said, hey, we're doing this, and then didn't think much more of it, thinking that they'd listen once or twice out of politeness. Mm. And then when a year and a half later, they'd go, oh, hey, man, I really liked, you know, this, whatever you guys were talking about on that episode. The fact that the people closest to me who are always the ones that I expect to like what I do the least, the <laughs> fact that they still listen, kind of, that's the, a measuring stick for me. I love when we get our questions in the mailbag because we obviously we have a mailbag for the show. Mm. It's not only does it show people listen, it shows that people care. And what it's the funny thing about the show is we always mention that we might say something about the episode that was wrong, and like a fa something factual, and people will write in and say, "No, no, no, it was this." I don't, I, I don't want to put you guys down, but it was actually this, and <laughs> I don't mind that. It just means that the people care and that people are really enjoying the show, which I love. Mm. How um, how important is it? For you guys, do you think as a podcast and as um, a kind of creative outlet to have been really specific and kind of target a very specific demographic? I mean, obviously, you guys are both fans, but was it this kind of conscious idea that you were going to make a show about something that was really popular so that it would be popularized? Or was it just that you were following something that you were very passionate about? I've just always loved The Simpsons, man, honestly. And I know that sounds cliche because everyone says they've always loved The Simpsons, but you ask any of my friends, I've always just been that one that still watches The Simpsons. Like, dude, haven't you grown up yet? You're still watching The Simpsons? I've got <laughs> in our studio, my spare bedroom studio at the moment, and it's just Simpsons toys. I'm actually holding Simpsons pogs in my hand right now. It's just Simpsons stuff everywhere. I'm just a massive Simpsons fan. I've always wanted to be able to sort of somehow not turn it into a career, but just turn it into something creative. And it wasn't until I met Mitch that I felt I found somebody who was as pa passionate about the show and as, pa as passionate about doing something creative as I am, which is why I think the show's worked really, really well. And in a kind of counterintuitive way, as much as the show is as well recognised as it is, it's not super relevant in day-to-day -day no. life anymore. So mm. as much as it is something that, you know, we, we definitely benefit from people looking up The Simpsons, and I think we needed being too nobodies it's not like anyone's jumping on itunes and searching mitch grinter to see what he's put out <laughs> it does help to be piggybacking off a brand but it's also it's not like you know talking dead or something like that like people aren't jumping on every week to go oh my god what has happened like what are people saying about the last simpsons episode mm. quite, but quite often we're getting um we're getting feedback from people saying that 
a lot of their friends don't really care about The Simpsons anymore, and they love our show in that it's an outlet for them to be able to hear like-minded people discussing a show that they are just as passionate about. Mm. I, I, I'm curious to know um, how you have created and kind of harnessed this amazing and prolific social media following. One of the... Uh, like, I see friends of mine um, who hit like on your posts and then it pops up in my newsfeed and I'm like, oh, I know those guys. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it, it's it's just kind of a viral thing now that you guys have almost created. And I don't know if these guys, if my friends who are hitting like on your posts are necessarily even listening to the show, but it's like you've created something that's bigger than just a show. There are a lot of followers on the page that don't listen to the show. <laughs> um, we were very recently... On the Harry Shearer interview, we got a comment from someone that was blown away by it going, oh, my God, like, I didn't realize that the podcast existed, and I certainly didn't think it would be as professional as it was from mm. the way you guys are on Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, but as much as, I mean, it was definitely originally created as an outlet to help give the show a voice, and we figured that fan interaction was hugely important for us because mm. the best way to spread the show for us is word of mouth. Um. So we were very, very determined to, you know, reply to every message that we ever got and and really try to keep that relationship going with people in the early days. We figured if someone like a Kevin Smith can do it with however many millions of fans he has, then we can do it with a couple thousand. Mm. Uh, as for as for the rest of it, though, I'll, I'll refer to Dando as to his, like, he, he's really the, you know, been the genius behind genius. everything successful that we've done through through the social media platform. I, I very occasionally jump on and comment on something, but all of the posting is sort of controlled by him. Your last comment was critiquing something I'd written, I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Dando said, hence why, and I had to jump in and take out the why. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, basically, I put it down to social networking. So when we started the show, I thought, well, we're going to need sponsors, and you've got to find sponsors who target people they're going to want to listen to the show. Mm. So I went on Facebook and I looked up, I typed in The Simpsons. And besides the actual Simpsons page, there was this Facebook page, which has now since been shut down, but it was called The Simpsons Best Moments. And they had a following of nearly half a million people on Facebook. And I just messaged the page saying, hey guys, would you be interested in sponsoring the show? We wouldn't want any money. All we'd want in return is that you just share our episodes each week. And the guy who ran that page was just all for it, loved it. And he eventually let me post on his page as our like stuff from our page. So I would just share the four finger discount stuff and piggyback off of them. And that helped sort of get our likes up to maybe about 10,000 or so. And then once we hit about the 10,000 to 15,000 mark, it just from people sharing our posts and I'm spending all day, every day, just constantly scamming, uh, skimming through other uh, Simpsons, Facebook groups, Facebook pages going on Reddit, trying to find really unique, funny Simpsons content, Simpsons related content. And I'll find the best of the best and I'll share maybe you don't want to share more than five things a day because then people's news feeds get cluttered. Mm. But if I think you keep a good medium, say three to five posts per day that are really funny and that what your target audience want, it really helps to grow your, your audience. So it's, that's pretty much what I've been doing. That's amazing. I think one of the hardest things when people start these kind of endeavors is building that kind of following and building that, uh, that social network, as you say. So um, very clever kind of way to do it. Were you offering anything in return to the Simpsons Best Moments guys? Nope. Not a single thing in return at all. 
Wow. So you, you just basically gave a pitch, said we'd like, you know, we, we'd really love it if you guys would share our stuff. And they were like, yeah, cool. Let's do it. Yeah. I, I, we, we said we'd say the show is brought to you by Simpsons Best Moments. And we'd put in uh, an ad for their uh, Facebook page or a banner on our website. But that's all we did. We didn't pay any money. We haven't spent any money in regards to that. We do boost our posts each week when we put up the episode, but that's they're the only posts that we boost on Facebook, are mm. our episodes, our podcasts. Everything else, they reach sometimes they reach over two million people one post. I put up a meme once when Telstra went down. Mm. And I just got the idea. Telstra were down. I sort of thought, what's something Simpsons related that, that could be funny, sort of comparing it. And I thought of when Homer was really fat. And he was just sitting on the couch, reaching over to the keyboard with a broomstick. <laughs> so I just got that screenshot, courtesy of our Frinkiac, which has just saved my life completely. And um, just said, meanwhile, at Telstra. And that post reached nearly 4 million people in two days, purely wow. from people sharing it. Yeah. We, we've had a, a lot of luck and a lot of success with some media, you know, big stories in the media. Um, oh, yeah, the news thing. Yeah. The, the Brexit of most recent times. And we find that when something kind of, catches fire as much as in social media these days everything has a really short half-life you've kind of got one or two days to capitalize on a story but in that one or two days all you really need to do is give one or two kernels out and then people will like you just get flooded with everyone kind of taking it and running with it so really if you if you can cultivate that audience then they end up doing 90 percent of the work for you um it's just you've got to be if you are starting out you've got to be so patient in letting that slowly build it doesn't happen overnight by mm. any means and even with listenership to our episodes like when we first put early podcasts up you know we'd get maybe 1 to 200 people per week first episode 30 listens there we go <laughs> <laughs> and it seemed like it would kind of hover for 2 weeks and then it would take a little jump and then it would hover for 2 weeks and take a little jump and even now, it's still slowly building, mm. um, hoping one day it, it, you know, I'm sure eventually there'll be a magic number where it'll hit a tipping point and it feels like it's going to get a long way ahead. But even after a year and a half, you've still got to have to keep everything in perspective and, and be aware that you're in it for the long haul. We only started at the end of May last year, so it's still in baby steps, baby stages, you know. Mm, that's it's amazing and, and happy one year anniversary for uh, not too long ago. Thank you. Yeah, thanks, man. Well, the thing about the Facebook too is what makes my job easier is it's at the point now where people almost want their photos shared or their memes shared on our page. So we've constantly got people all day just sending us different Simpsons memes. We're going to skim through them and just pick the best ones. It's, it's like they're doing my work for me now. I'm just like, it's like mm. it's a, to them, I don't know why, but to them it seems it's almost like an, an honor to have their meme shared on our page. It's just, it's, <laughs> it's really cool. <laughs> and that is, that is really cool. Um, I'd love to talk about you guys just for a second um, yeah. to find out um, a little bit about what makes you guys kind of tick. Uh, mm. One of the things that I talk to people about on um, on my show is the first time, well, when, when I'm talking to an actor, it's the first time they performed or when I'm talking to a writer, it's the first time they might have written a story. Do either of you guys remember, or both of you guys, do you remember the first time that you did, you know, perhaps performing or broadcasting or something in this kind of space, maybe as a kid or something, and that kind of gave you that feeling like this is something that I want to pursue as an adult? Yeah. Um, I've probably done a little bit more in the way of performance than, than Dando has, although Dando's got a bit more of a background in radio than I do, but... 
uh, I can vividly tell you my the very first thing that I ever did in front of people, I was 11, 11 or 12. Um, Jerry Seinfeld's HBO special, I'm telling you for the last time, had aired like earlier that week. And our school did a talent show on a Friday and I just blatantly stole about five minutes worth of Seinfeld material. <laughs> you haven't told me that story. <laughs> and, um, but, you know, I performed that in front of maybe 40 or 50 people and everyone laughed at it. And that thrill was something that, like, that was really the first time I'd kind of tasted that. And then later that year, I had one of the lead roles in the school play and just throughout all of high school, I, I then did drama. I never really got back to performing in front of a lot of people for a while until um, I did a play in Melbourne at a, a little playhouse called the Bo Morris Theatre. Mm. Um, There's a play called The Shape of Things, which is a Neil LeBute play. And I hadn't done anything for years. I, I'd left school and I was probably 21, 22, something around that age. And really just went, oh, look, I'll go for the audition. It'll give me a little bit of practice and it'll just sort of shake some cobwebs off. And lo and behold, I, because I hadn't done it in so long, I think I put a lot of effort in and ended up being cast in the lead. And just that little bit of maturity from being you know, 17, 18 and doing stuff at school to, to having worked and experienced a few things helped me a lot. But the thing for me about performing was every night, no matter what mood I was in, there'd be, a, there was a little bit of piano that introduced the show. And just that moment of being on the wings when the lights came up, you, you get this energy from it. That's unlike anything um, that I could describe. Like you, you just feel, you just feel so buzzed whenever mm. you're about to go out and do it. And that's a feeling that I never, ever get sick of. And no matter how much self-doubt you might have in the weeks leading up to something, as soon as it kind of clicks over and it's ready to go, all of that goes out the window for me anyway, um, which which is kind of lucky because there'd be nothing worse than staying nervous when you're on stage. <laughs> um, and then relating that through to the podcast now, there's really been – there hasn't been a single week where I've gone, oh, I have to go do this again. Like it's, mm. it's always a joy for me to come here. And I guess it's a release from my day-to-day -day life, like working at a bank. There are an awful lot of subjects that I'm not allowed to talk about. That um, <laughs> When I get a microphone in front of me and there's no no sort of moderator, then we can just go for it and, and try to you know, try to give something that as much as we're talking about a show that people already love, we get to try and create our own little bits and of pieces back and forth talking about our own lives, whatever it might be. And, and then when we get the feedback from listeners that some of the stuff that we spoke about was some of their favorite stuff to listen to, then again, you get that real kind of buzz that you're creating something that means something to someone. I get a real buzz out of um, getting back to social media, putting a post up and just seeing how many people I can reach with that particular post. Mm. For me now, I'm disappointed if one of my posts doesn't reach 100,000 people. I crack it really badly. I'm just, <laughs> just like that. But when it comes to doing the show, I used to sort of think, I used to get really nervous before doing the episodes when we first started. I don't know why I can't explain it. Now I don't really get nervous before doing the episode reviews. But when we're doing the interviews with the guest stars, I'm nervous still during it. And you're, you're saying, well, you don't get nervous at all, do you, Mitch? But Harry Shearer, I could tell you were nervous whether you said it or not. Yeah, no, I, for all of the others, I've been fine. But Harry was, you know, Harry Shearer was a god to me. So, and he was the one that I never believed we would get because, Christ, it's Harry Shearer. He's been in the, <laughs> his first thing that he ever did was with Abbott and Costello. Like, what is a guy like that ever going to, 
to take 20 minutes out of his day and talk to someone like me for. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, he, he was that one where, again, I was okay. Uh, I was mostly okay once we started. There were one or two moments where I had, like, this out-of-body experience where I kind of was looking down on myself going, <laughs> I just made Harry Shearer laugh. And then... <laughs> And then I realized that there had been three seconds of silence. I was like, oh, hang on, I need to keep talking here. <laughs> how how but, did you guys make that happen? The Harry Shearer, I just asked. My, my motto for doing this show, man, is if, the only way you can find out is if you ask. The worst they can say is no. And I just said, I run this, I, don't, I co-host this podcast with my mate Mitch. We're from Australia. We're Australia's only Simpsons podcast. I think we might be a new one now. I'm not too sure. But at the time, we were the only one. And we've got this Facebook following do you think we can set up an interview with Harry? And they just said, yeah, sure, why not? That's, <laughs> and just that's, uh, that's his agent or manager or something? Yeah, I can't, so obviously you go to harryshearer.com and I found the contact page and found his management and just emailed them directly. That's what I do. I've contacted all the cast members and we've actually got a lot of interviews in the works. Got to wait till they've got something to advertise at the same time. Sort of the timing needs to work out. But mm. my, first, um, my first stint on radio was when I was eight. And there was a, um, a country music station in Geelong. It doesn't exist anymore, but my, my parents were big on country music, or my dad was. So I obviously used to have to listen to it. And um, I used to like this country station in Geelong. One time I sent in a letter to these two DJs that I liked listening to. And they were so taken aback that this eight-year-old had sent in it. They had me in on the studio. And that turned into a two-year stint where until I was 10 and, and then the station moved to a different area in Geelong, I no longer did the show anymore. But for two years, I was like eight, nine years old, live on the air every Saturday night on the radio. And wow. I knew from that point that I wanted to do something on radio. And then when podcasting became a thing, I thought, well, cool. I don't have to wait for a radio station to hire me anymore. I can just create my own radio station. But then in Geelong, there's a, um, there's a radio station called K-Rock, which is sort of like Geelong's biggest commercial. There's only real, two real commercial stations. One appeals for younger people. One appeals for the oldies. And I did a lot of stuff with the local music scene at the time. And I just emailed the program director, who I'm now friends with, Lee, and just said, hey, I do a lot of stuff with the local music scene. Um, would you be interested in me coming on doing a local gig guide and stuff? And he just said, yeah, sure, sounds like a good idea. So for three years, I was on K-Rock as the local music guy. I just asked and it happened. <laughs> it's a really, it's, it's, a great, uh, it's a great kind of ethos to, to work with and to go by and, and certainly serve me um, in, in, in my podcast coming up next. Um, you know, the worst case scenario when you ask someone is that they'll say no and you'll be in exactly the same situation that you're currently yeah. in. Yeah. Don't well, be don't be scared to ask. You've had some huge names on your show. Yeah. You had Molly Meldrum on there, didn't you? Like does it yeah. get bigger than in Australian <laughs> entertainment? <laughs> that was um that was a pretty awesome and amazing uh moment for me. Um and, and Was that was that in person, that interview? Yeah, yeah. I I'd been um I'd been working with him a little bit uh for through M T V producing and shooting okay. a web series with him and um cool. and just sort of had the same ethos as you guys did. Um, you know, just uh when when I went to, I went to do a shoot with him um, and after we'd finished, I kind of gauged the situation and because I had a rapport with him, I, I just said, Hey man, I'm doing this podcast. Would you be interested in, um, in having a chat? And he said, yeah, sure. That'd be awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it comes back to, I mean, the night that, that you and I were in the, not, not together, but we went <laughs> to see, um, Kevin Smith up in St Kilda and, mm. you know, Kev's advice is, and it's, his advice was the same to film students back in the 90s and early 2000s, and he says it about anyone talking about podcasts or whatever they want to get into now of just do it. Like, 
get out there, ask a question, and you never know what can happen. But it's certainly not going to go forward if you kind of put if you put up all of the potential things that could go wrong in your head and you let them stop you, then it'll never happen. Whereas if you just get out there and try, then you know that that night, the reason why I was free, freezing in St Kilda afterwards was that I stuck around for a good hour and 15 minutes and waited for him to come out and we managed to get him to record an intro for our show yeah, um cool. in the full extended recording of that you can nearly hear me getting run over or sorry you can hear me nearly getting run over by jason muse's car as it was leaving the car <laughs> wasn't like telling you to hurry up or something yeah um yeah muse muse was in the background going come on man it's fucking cold i want to go <laughs> um but yeah like you know it, it was a it was a great thrill and and that's like we've had some people write in going, how do you go about starting it? And while there's some technical aspect that you need to have, you know, figure out how to upload it. But really the biggest thing that you need is just that ability to say, all right, let's do it. And don't get disheartened if it doesn't take off straight away. We, we, we obviously didn't expect our show to take off as quick as it did. And I can contribute mostly to the fact that we, I was able to get, well, not I, but we were able to get uh, sponsors on board, like Simpsons Best Moments and whatnot. Had we not got them on board straight away, it would have taken a lot longer to be to get to where we are now. But like I said, when you're starting out something new, look for like-minded people who are doing a similar thing that you might be able to utilize to appeal to their market to hopefully boost your market. Mm. Being fearless, I think, is uh, is is kind of what you guys are saying, and it certainly helps yeah. that you, Dando, have a background in. Um, in radio so you know you don't need to you, you already have a head start with the kind of i guess uh production side of things but there are certainly um plenty of ways that people can figure that sort of stuff out but um that's uh, all kind of besides the point um what, one thing we haven't actually talked about is what your show looks like you do a show you do a show about the simpsons but there is a lot more structure to it than it just being two people talking about the simpsons you actually have started from the very first episode and you review the episodes each week and you have a kind of structured um, format for each week that includes the aforementioned yeah. mailbag and sometimes interviews as well. Yeah. Yeah, that was... When we started, uh, there's a couple things that are, to sort of answer this, that there were a few other Simpsons episode uh, podcasts around and I guess part of what you... Again, just to quickly finish off what I was saying before, if you... Don't about not letting things hold you back. If someone already has an idea or someone's already doing what your idea is, don't let that stop you. Just try to be better than them. Like, <laughs> I, I mean, I, it sounds arrogant, but you need, I think you need to believe in yourself that you can be the best and just capitalize on what a good idea is. Um, so a lot of what the other shows were doing though, were just picking episodes kind of at random and bouncing around. And we thought that doing it more structured was going to be a better way to get, hopefully bring people along a whole journey. Um, and our show kind of evolved at the same rate that the Simpsons did. Like the early episodes were probably a little bit patchy. And then by now we're halfway through season three of the show. And as it's hit its straps, we feel like we've kind of gotten to a, a comfortable groove. It took a season to work out our formula, for mm. sure. The other thing that we really wanted to kind of reintroduce was the concept about like in our show, we'll, we'll go off on tangents and talk about old school memories. Um, more often than not, something that's triggered by the episode. And what I wanted to try and recreate between us and within our little community of, of listeners was that feeling when I went to school of we didn't have subscription uh, or you had subscription TV, but not video on demand as such. Mm. So you 
you all watch TV shows together. Like you, I would get to school the next day and the way I bonded with my friends was by talking about whatever TV shows were on last night. But more often than not, it was either Simpsons, Simpsons or Seinfeld. Or Dragon Ball Z. Uh, yeah, what, but whatever it was. And we, it's something that's kind of missed now because everyone's watching things at their own pace. Everyone's terrified about spoiling something for somebody else. So you don't get to have that kind of community bonding over it rather than just like really the only thing people have now is they update Facebook going, Oh my God, game of Thrones. And that's about the extent of, <laughs> yeah. um, or Holy shit. Game of Thrones is probably more accurate. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I kind of wanted to, to bring back that and show the way that, um, that a show can really impact on your life and the way you can learn things from a show or it can trigger memories and, then to try and give an Australian bent for American listeners who, you know, would be fairly oblivious to the way a show that they grew up on might impact people on the other side of the world in a different way, or we might have different takeaways from episodes or see jokes differently. We have a lot of Australian listeners who write in saying it's great to hear two Aussie guys talking about the show because we relate to it in a way that they do because the other shows were all American. Mm. So they completely differently. Like there might've been jokes that they understood and just assumed that their listeners understood, not realizing that Australians had no idea what they were talking about. Mm. And we'll point out, we have no idea what that's talking about. And our <laughs> listeners appreciate that. <laughs> well, that's awesome. Where can, um, where can people find uh, four finger discount? Uh, you can go to our website, which is fourfingerdiscount.com.au. Obviously Facebook's facebook.com slash four finger discount at four finger discount on Instagram at four finger pod at four finger pod on a Twitter. Mitch runs the Twitter. I run the Facebook basically you want any other social medias. Oh, YouTube as well. YouTube.com slash four finger discount. Pretty much just Google four finger discount and everything comes up straight away. <laughs> what do you put Ooh. up on our uh, YouTube? Um, I put together sort of like uh, montages, like for example, Homer's best moments, Hans Mullman's best moments, Hank Scorpio's best moments, stuff like that into like two, three minute clips and people just go ballistic for it. Actually, since you're a wrestling fan, you'll appreciate, I actually made a clip of, uh, I got Simpsons clips and got funny JR commentary and put it over the top. Oh, you did that? Yeah. yeah. That's, that's awesome. awesome. Yeah, so yeah, as check it out. God is my witness. It's, he has broken in half. <laughs> it's just really cool. So yeah, check it out on YouTube as well. That, JR, the commentator, he commentates in wrestling for listeners that don't know wrestling. Yeah, um, he actually shared that on Twitter as well. So that boosted up the views as well, which helps. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Outside of that, we'll come to you. Like if, if people um, want, you know, children's entertainment or, <laughs> or just a conversation around the dinner table. We're Ford, not, Ford is closing. So. We're, we're not quite at that level yet that we'll say no to virtually anything. <laughs> so if you, if you have a Simpsons-themed party coming up and you'd like two people yeah. to talk about the Simpsons at your Simpsons-themed party... Yeah, definitely. Or I'm just a massive movie nerd in general. So, and anything to do with uh, anything to do with film, I'll jump on board. Which really helps because I don't know so much about movies. When Mitch is just the absolute movie buff, he knows, like, he'll know the actor that played like the the tiniest role in a movie from 1991 that no one's even heard of. Where I'm good for the te the technology uh, technology side of things, like the production values and all that kind of stuff. Mitch is the content man. Hmm. Well, it seems like a very, uh, quite a formidable duo. Um, yeah, well, if, sorry, go I have no social life, so that certainly helps. <laughs> <laughs> um, so if there is anyone out there who's pining for a bit of 90s nostalgia um, or that kind of communal feeling, jump on iTunes or Stitcher or uh, wherever you find good <laughs> podcasts um, and hit that magical subscribe button on Four Finger Discount. I end all of my conversations with the same question, 
And I'm going to get two answers here. What makes you silly? We've both looked at each other waiting for the other person to answer that first. <laughs> I mean, aside uh, from doing a Simpsons podcast. You know what? Australian listeners will appreciate this. Being in close proximity to Luke Hodge. <laughs> <laughs> I'm similar in the sense of Joel Selwood and Patrick Dangerfield. My new God. <laughs> so, so what happens when you guys are in close proximity to these football players? You, you don't want to know. Turn into a 10-year-old girl. <laughs> I got a, um, the, the Geelong Football Club came to my work last week and I, I couldn't speak. <laughs> I just wanted, I, I wanted to get a photo of me just bowing down to Dangerfield. <laughs> you, you, guys, you guys have interviewed Harry Shearer and yet it's Australian rules football players who kind of tip <laughs> over the edge. <laughs> to be fair, if we're, I'd, we're if, Australians, what can we say? If yeah. I'd been in the same room as Harry, that, that might have been a different story. Well... Uh, Mish couldn't speak at certain points during the interview of Harry Shearer. So. <laughs> um, outside of that, you know what? Being on stage, I think it, just being in a spotlight brings out something in me that, that doesn't exist in my day-to-day life. You get that little bit of a twinkle in your eye that, that you know, you kind of have to suppress a little bit um, normally. So just, you know, putting me front and centre and saying do something um, is enough to generally... Uh, you know, to get more energy out of me than I even know that I have. If I've had a few beers and a good, you know, 90s pop song like Will Smith getting jiggy with it comes on, <laughs> that's when I get to it. That's when the spotlight goes on Dando. <laughs> well, thank you so much, guys, and uh, I will certainly be tuning in to Four Finger Discount. Thank you very much, Alistair. It's been an absolute pleasure, mate. I'm glad we finally got to catch up. Thanks me for too. Us, mate. All right, my absolute pleasure. <laughs>